Welcome to Midweek in the Word, where each week we seek to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. This podcast is brought to you by Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, here is your host, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor, Pastor Brad Myers. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Midweek in the Word. We're so thankful that you're along for the ride and that you've hung in there on our What Does the Bible Say About series here over the last few weeks and months. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to believe. I can't hardly believe that we're coming to an end of we're closing out this series. It feels like we just got started on it. Uh, but do listeners, we do hope that you've enjoyed um, our discussions on the what does the Bible say about series as we move through different topics. Hopefully we've illuminated some things. Hopefully we haven't made anything more confusing than it needs to be, but we've given you some, some uh, guide rails, at least on some of these different topics. Um, and before we get to the end of this service or the end of this series, excuse me, uh, we have to cover what I, it seems like the appropriate end to any systematic theology series is the end of the world, if you will, or what theologians refer to as the end times or eschatology. Um, now, don't shut off the podcast. I promise we're not <laughs> we're not going to get into some sort of a debate. Tom and I are not going to be throwing things by the end of this podcast. I assure you of that. Um, but we do have to talk tackle this subject. We have to explain a little bit what the Bible teaches on it, where we agree, where we probably disagree. This is a common one on this. Um, and here to tackle uh, this topic, this challenging and potentially divisive subject is Tom Rempel, Faith Bible Church's preaching pastor. Welcome back, Tom. Yeah, thanks. It's a privilege to expose my ignorance today. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, there we go. We're, we're all in this boat uh, together. Admittedly, it's one of those that uh, uh, if you think you've got it all figured out, yeah. I'm going to have a tendency not to believe you on it. So, yeah. um, But listeners, let me, let me remind you before we jump into this discussion on eschatology and the end times. Um, this last Sunday, Tom, uh, he was back in Hebrews 2, looking at chapter, verse 14 through 18. Um, discuss that section um, in length. Uh, Tom, appreciate that message and the opportunity to listen to that. Listeners, if you missed that, uh, let me just remind you that you can go back to our website, faithbiblelincoln.org, and find those messages under the resources tab. Just hit the sermons button. You can find any of those past sermons. You can also search for our, our sermons feed podcast. Just search for Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find the podcast with a black background and the white letters. That's our Sermons Feed podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find those and catch up if you're not able to be with us, you're out of town for some reason. Okay, so Tom, uh, today I have to admit I'm a, I'm a little bit sad as we wrap up <laughs> this uh, with these final two topics. We're going to divide this end times discussion into two different podcasts as we try to walk through this end times uh, topic. Uh, we'll start by focusing on what the Bible says about Christ's return, his second coming, as Scripture talks. Then we'll move on to kind of the things that take place after that following. Um, but once again, I want to start, listeners, by reading our statement of faith in our doctrinal statement. Again, you can find that on our church website, faithbiblelincoln.org. It's on, it's on there. You can, you can read through it for yourself. But the final statement in our statement of faith reads this way as the conviction of Faith Bible Church. We believe that this present age will culminate in the coming day of the Lord, when believers will be caught up and forever be with him. We also hold that this coming day of the Lord will manifest the just wrath of God on an unbelieving world, followed by a thousand-year rule and reign of righteousness by the Lord Jesus Christ. Final judgment and a new redeemed heaven and earth will then come. That is the details of what we include in our statement of faith on this subject of Christ's return. So, Tom, let's dig into this just a bit more here on the podcast. What does the Bible say about Christ's second coming, his return? 
Well, there's, it's spoken of repeatedly, but uh, I think the first thing almost everyone would agree with that it is certain and sure mm -hmm. that he is, says that this same Jesus, I think about Acts chapter 1, this same Jesus, which you have seen go depart in this way, will return in like manner. Yeah. And so we're caught between the first coming and the second coming. Yeah. Um, it, it will be sudden, uh, Jesus said, like the lightning, as it were, strikes across the sky. But at the same time, uh, it will be preceded by certain signs. And so he, he kind of reproves the followers that they, they seem to be able to read the signs about the coming of a rainstorm, but they can't read the signs about the coming of the Son of Man. So uh, sure, sudden, and, and signs accompanying would, would be basically what the Bible teaches about it. Mm. Yeah, very, very true. It's, it's interesting that those common themes seem to... There's a, there's a lot of different things that we see in the different accounts yeah. of the end times. We'll talk about some of the differences here in a bit. But those aspects, as far as that, it's, it's unexpected. It's a moment. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen very quickly. People aren't going to expect it, you no. know. Um, that's those are all very very consistent things um, that we see in this discussion. Okay, so then obviously we're coming up with this idea from a number of places in Scripture. Let's let's go to some of those texts. Let's look at where the Bible actually gives us this idea. Well, Jesus spoke bluntly to the disciples in Matthew twenty four and twenty five, uh, letting them know that his soon return. We were talking earlier about Mark thirteen, but in uh, twenty four. And 25, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, and they ask him, tell us uh, when these things will be, what the sign of your coming will be. And Jesus said, be careful that no one leads you astray. So uh, there are, in those times, there are false teachers coming and going. That's the Matthew 24. Then he talks about the condition of the world and the state of the world at that time. And another place, and uh, obviously anyone who has uh, buried a loved one, it goes immediately to First Thessalonians 4. It says, I don't want you to be uninformed or those about those who are asleep that you may not uh, lose hope. It, so you know, basically there what, what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians who he had taught them that the Lord would be returning soon. But in that short period of time since he had been there, some of their loved ones had died and they yeah. wondered, did they miss out on the return of the Lord? Yeah. So he again reminds them of the coming of the Lord in First Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians 2, he talked about the condition of the world at that time and the age. And then he also, uh, there's a rebuke there in chapter 3 for those that believe so strongly in the immediacy of the coming of the Lord, which we're all supposed to live with this sense of immediate expectation. But they were so determined, they were quitting their jobs and everything, just go sit yeah, on a hill yeah, waiting for yeah. the return. So, uh, and then uh, you've got to go to the end of the book of Revelation yeah. and the chapter 20, 21, 22. Uh, again, there's a lot of specifics about the return or the coming of the Lord. Yeah, um, it... It really, it really is kind of laced throughout. Obviously, the, the the day of the Lord, that coming, you know, we were talking yeah. Old Testament survey recently, and that that this this period of God needing to come and judge once and for all. Yeah. Um, that that's a common theme, you know, that obviously anticipates one yeah. final ultimate day of the Lord that one day we'll see in Christ's return. I find it fascinating that you're bringing up, you know, the Matthew 24, you know, Mark 13. It's it's interesting for me to look at the context of those passages. You know, obviously we've talked in the past in the podcast about context being king. Yep. Um, and it is so fascinating that Jesus brings up this discussion, not just to give the disciples some interesting 
thing to argue about, yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as we might tend to think. Yeah. But he brings it up because they well, they were asking questions about the temple, and they were thinking, yeah. well, when the temple falls, that means the world's going to come to an end, yep. right? Sort yeah. of the thing. Because they were exactly that way. To refute yep. that, look, you guys are going to have to be faithful. You're going to have to endure for a long yep. time. There's there's not... And, and so he encourages them that way. We kind of get stuck down in the weeds and we lose yep. sight of the fact that uh, we, much like the disciples, have a tendency to think uh, this is going to be... Uh, I mean, we should think it's going to be soon, but you know what I mean? Like this endurance idea is, is a key theme that we need to keep in mind. Yeah, and he, he sets it up. He said, you know, tough times are going to come before the Lord yeah. returns. And basically the mark of true believers is that in tough times they endure to the end. You know, yeah. they, they're not saved because they endure. They endure because they're saved. We've talked about yeah. that yeah. Yeah, in the past. And and so these, it's, uh, these uh, you mentioned uh, all of almost all of the Old Testament prophets spoke of this time, yeah. this day, and uh, I, I think your illustration in the Sunday school class of the view of the different hills or mountain mm. peaks, and so as they're preaching, they're primarily thinking about that first coming, yeah. which yeah. kind of confuses people, but here we are between the two comings, and you go back and read the prophets, I mean, almost all of the minor prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know, the mini Bible, yeah. over and over, they're talking about that, and when you look at especially Isaiah, the last half of that, you realize that in his first coming he offered that, but they didn't embrace it. Yeah. And yet he promised it to be fulfilled, so there has to be a second coming. So again, yeah. the text of the Old Testament leads us, the New Testament helps us understand between the two comings, and then a matter of what should we be looking at for the time, what are those signs that we're waiting for? Mm. Yeah, it, it really is one of those marvelous things that we see throughout Scripture. And we don't really fully realize what we're seeing yeah. until we get into the Gospels and the kind of the later reality of that. Um, God needed to kind of set the record straight. Yeah. God needed to come and once and for all uh, settle things, if you will. Okay, now it's much with, with much trepidation that I move into our third question, <laughs> question here because this is where things get dicey. <laughs> okay, uh, are there any disagreements among Orthodox believers on this, Tom? Oh, my word, yes. Uh, <laughs> you can go on Amazon and buy tons of books. You go to Barnes & Noble, and there's positions across the board. There is uh, not disagreement necessarily on the promise. He is going to come yeah. again. But the process, the timing of that, there's great discussion. So, um, you know, is, is there a literal millennial reign of Christ? And if so, is his return before that, after that, right in the middle of it? You know, is there a tribulation that sets that up? Or is that just, uh, are we in the tribulation today kind of thing and all? But uh, there are there are biblical patterns that seem to help us understand that, and yet yeah we've got dear brothers that we highly respect that would land at a different place than we did reading the very same text. So yeah. we we want to know we know he's coming, and we would like to know exactly when and how. So he gave us some signs for that, but exactly how the future history all fits together is still under hot debate. Yeah. Okay, so try, try and walk just a bit for our listeners in generalities. Obviously, we can't go... Uh, whenever we get into these discussions, people start flipping all over their, their Bibles, and, I, and I, I, want, I want this to be biblical, don't misunderstand me, but can you, at least in kind of a generic form, can you lay out some of the predominant positions that people are likely to run into or personally hold on this subject? Yeah, I, I think mostly, uh, like I said, there is uh, there's the uh, post-millennial, that is, we believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ, you know, Revelation 19, 20. 
uh, that that the re the removal of the saints and uh, all that will follow that. Uh, there are those that believe that the saints of today, the church age between uh, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, and and the snatching up, as we say, or the the, the Greek word, but not the you know biblical word, the rapture takes mm -hmm. place. That that we will be removed from the scene. That the judgment of God against the nation of Israel, the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, the Lord will return. We'll enjoy that thousand-year reign. And, uh, and there are some uh, all-millennial. There, there are also some positions that, again, I, I want to be careful I don't create a straw man mm -hmm. and make somebody say something that is not their position. Yep. But there, there are those that believe that there is a progression of improvement in the world that is, and a, a lot of that... Uh, is, it drives people to get more and more involved in politics and things like that because somehow we're going to bring the kingdom of God to this earth by the rewriting of laws. And if people just shape up and obey themselves, mm -hmm. then we'll have peace on earth and all of that. So uh, this uh, that so you look and go, the world doesn't seem to be getting better. Yeah. You know? But again, those, those are kind of generic principles you'll hear mm -hmm. people speak of. Okay, so these obviously recognizing that people have a tendency to fall into individual. I mean, no, nobody is perfectly yeah. consistent in, yeah. in most of these sort of things, and there's reasons for holding kind of different positions. But most people fall into one of these three. You know, yeah. basically, what do they do with the millennium? Which, yeah. What do they do with this thousand-year reign that Revelation talks about? Do they think it's it's a literal or is it figurative? It's figurative. That's more the all-millennial position that yeah. this is. This is related to a generic church age sort of idea um, that's more applicable across time, um, as opposed to the premillennial or postmillennial, where they believe in a literal thousand year reign. Postmillennial would just say we need to usher that in. Yeah. Premillennial would say Christ is going to come back before and establish that earthly reign yeah. for a thousand years. Yeah. Okay. Now I also know, and we don't want to go too far into the weeds here, <laughs> but I also know there's there's some minor positions, especially within the premillennial camp, which if we didn't have a position in our doctrinal statement on the premillennial camp, may not be worth going into. Yeah. Um, but because historically as a church we've been premillennial, explain a little bit of where the discussion is within that camp. Yeah, within that is basically is uh, relates to the rapture itself. We do believe that the Lord Jesus is going to come and reign on the throne of David and that there will be a massive repentance of the nation of Israel and this kingdom that the prophets were talking about will actually be realized. But for for our position is there is a removal of the saints because there is a seven-year tribulation that comes as a result, that, that, that judgment of God upon rebellious Israel through which it sets up. So the, the question in our, in our camp is, is the, is the removal of the saints of the church, is that before the tribulation? Is that in the middle of the tribulation at the, at the split three and a half years in? Uh, some sort of loosely, we used to call it the, the mid-trib view. Then there was this pre-wrath view mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was popular about 20 years ago. And then, or is it a post Trib. In other words, God give us grace. We're going to endure through the judgment and all that. Um, so I, I would say the majority at faith, faith was was birthed on uh, the conviction that it's a pre-tribulational uh, calling of the saints into the presence of the Lord. Uh, we would probably go to First Thessalonians four that the trumpet will sound and the voice of the archangel, and then the dead in Christ will be raised, and then we are alive caught up together with him, the clouds meet the Lord in the air, so we'll always be with the Lord and, and that. 
it and, and it's probably the source uh, again of my own personal conviction on it is just reading the Old Testament stories that lead up progressive revelation. So you go to the beginning and you know in the story of Enoch you got this little glimmer. He's just telling us how wicked and evil the nation is and death is marching over and over Genesis 5. Then right in the middle there's this glimmer of hope and says and Enoch walked with God and was not. So you start to go is it possible that some may go into God's presence without going to the grave first? And then the story of Noah, where God gave Noah warnings that these are the things that are going to happen and be prepared. And then you've got the ark of safety, as it were. And then what God did was he invited people into an ark of safety where they would be lifted above the judgment. Mm-hmm. And then he would pour out judgment upon the earth and then the new heaven and new earth. And then you got the story of Lot again, where a word of warning came, and then the angels were sent by God to remove Lot and his family from the city. Then the judgment of God mm-hmm. poured out. So I think those portraits, those pictures, uh, conditioned my understanding of the rest of the Scripture that the grace of God, those who trust and follow him, are removed when he pours out his wrath and judgment mm-hmm. against the people. That being said, there's no guarantee that we won't go through hard times. Right. So uh, that's why I say this is kind of a first-world theological debate <laughs> because a lot of parts of our brothers and sisters are suffering what would feel yeah. like a tribulation. So I'd say those are kind of where the discussion yeah. is. We're, we're premillennial, but are we pre-tribulational, mid-trib, or post-trib in our understanding of when the church will be removed. Yep, yep. Listeners, if, if you got lost at all in that discussion, <laughs> don't worry, you're in good company. Um, th- there's a reason this has been challenging uh, throughout yeah. the church's history, and there's a reason that in some ways this is a first-world problem yeah. to have when it comes to theology, is some people don't have time uh, in other places and other parts of the world yeah. on this discussion. But essentially it breaks down to what do you do with the millennial reign of Christ, and what do you do with this rapture idea? Where, where yeah. do you put Christ coming? Where do you put the millennium? Um, if you're interested in more on that, uh, you can always research it. There's plenty of, send us an email or send us a question if you got something on that. We're happy to take those questions, uh, though likely we won't answer all the questions yeah. you may have I, I, I related would, to I it. So say, as we were talking before we turned the microphones on, I, there's also the question of God's promises to the nation of Israel mm-hmm. and how you view those. And, uh, you know, we would hold that God's promise to Abraham will ultimately be fulfilled with the nation of Israel, that we are blessed to be grafted into that, that we as the church are not a replacement for Israel, or we don't enjoy, we enjoy the side benefits of the promises made, and yet God is faithful to his word. He is going to fulfill that promise to his people, the nation of Israel, to those who repent Mm -hmm. and believe in him as their Messiah. Yeah. So convictionally, this is one of those prime examples of what we've talked about with the bullseye illustration in the past. Yeah. Convictionally, obviously, we believe Christ is coming back. That's absolutely Amen. critical Amen. Um, to, you know, if, if, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, if he's not coming back, we're to be pitied, right? Yeah. That's the reality. Um, however, a lot of this stuff falls into Christian liberty. It falls into that third tier where we can be in the same church together and yep. hopefully not get on each other's nerves so much <laughs> debating eschatology uh, that we understand, though the church, obviously, to your point, yeah. holds a conviction on this. Okay, so then we want to move from what what has been historically orthodoxy, what is acceptable from Scripture, into where do we can, where can we get out of bounds? Because there are some areas that we need to be cautious of, yeah. even when it comes to eschatology. There's some people that are like, eschatology comes up, and I just want to jettison the conversation. Yeah. I want to be there. But there are some concerning things that we need to be watchful of. What are the heresies in this area, Tom? Well, a couple of things. For those that are noncommittal, that 
their humorous uh, general avoidance of the discussions, they just call themselves pan-millennialists, and they said it'll all pan out in the end. There you go. Well, that, that regrettably, uh, some people actually hold that. They just don't want to hold a position. But then there are others. In Second Peter 3, one of the heresies that Peter talked about uh, is that um, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and say, where's the promise of his coming? Mm. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. They deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world was then existed, was deluged with water and perished. So, and again, there's uh, the heresy that says that, uh, that, that the second coming of Christ in a day of judgment, the great day of the Lord, was, was just used to scare people or to manipulate and control people. So, yeah. you know, to, to deny the second coming of Christ is a heresy, and there are those who do that. And then another one, it was popular back in the 80s, it comes up periodically, but, but there is also the heresy that says, and because Jesus said that his return would be precipitated by all the nations, all the peoples hearing the gospel, and what the implications of that are, we have to continue to ask because he does say in Revelation that there will be at the throne those from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group but there were those that used it as a fundraiser, quite honestly, to say we can force the return of Christ yeah. by getting the gospel. So give us more money, and we'll get the gospel to all these people, and Jesus will have to return. Yeah. And again, it, it, the return of Christ depends on the authority of the Father. Mm. And there's this wonderful picture often missed in John chapter 14 when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Yeah. And it's this portrait of the bridegroom at the betrothal saying to the bride, I'm going to go home and do what I'm supposed to do over the next year. I'm going to make a place for us to start our marriage together. Yeah. And he doesn't come back and receive his bride. She waits, expecting at some point he's going to come, does her responsibility. But he doesn't come until the father examines the workmanship of the project, and when the father says you're ready, then the father sends him to get the bride. Yeah. And so uh, we can't force it. The father knows. Even in Acts 1, uh, the disciples say, now are you going to set up the kingdom? He goes, well, that's not for me to know. But the yeah. father knows. Yeah. And then he ascends, and he's going to come back and do it, but the timing. So those that would set a date, a timing, mm -hmm. back in 1988, there was a book that was very popular, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And when he didn't, the guy got a second bestseller for 89 reasons Jesus returned in 1989. And the 89th <laughs> reason is he didn't show up in 88. It was like, so there's those, those false teachers are always using it, but it's yeah. all for self-promotion. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I, as opposed to the Old Testament where they would have been stoned for a false <laughs> prophecy. Throw that rock. <laughs> okay, good deal. All right, so we got these two issues we need to be keeping a mind out for on this. Okay, final, finally, and, and probably most importantly, uh, obviously uh, mm -hmm. this is not just for intellectuals and ivory towers. We've said that before. Theology makes a difference to how we live. Yeah. So what is the implication? Because again, for some people, they're like, that's just something that, that people debate and you know, people get angry. That doesn't affect my Christian life. What What is the application of this discussion on the way we live? Well, John wrote it in his first letter in chapter 2, verse 28, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, mm -hmm. we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame 
at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So the first one is that it it is motivation to live a pure life. And then uh, Philippians chapter 3 Verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. So at the same time, it gives us hope in the midst of the waiting. And so then you connect that with 1 Thessalonians 4. Don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you do not grieve. So here on earth, we live in a fallen world as a fallen people, yeah. and death and separation is reality, but the promised return of Christ is our hope. It's our glorious hope that, that our hearts are comforted, our, our lives take on meaning, and priorities are established based on the fact that he is soon to return. Mm. It, it is amazing how recognizing that one day Christ is going to return, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, mm. uh, it, it makes things that are truly not of Eternal significance, in, insignificant. It, it puts them in their proper place, and it makes people who are truly of eternal significance even more important. It, it really, it really sets the paradigm for everything else. And and I love you know the parables Jesus tells about about his return, about how do we yeah. wait, how do we invest yeah. our time, how do we invest our talents and our treasures, how do we be sure that we're the faithful stewards who are ready yeah. when he returns and aren't unexpected. Who we've got our lamps burning and yeah, all those yeah. Different I was parables. just thinking about the ten bridesmaids and yeah. five were foolish and weren't ready. Yeah, because uh, the father was going to send that groom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hope, holiness, and motivation, absolutely good encouragements from the fact that Christ will be coming back soon, though we don't know how soon. Uh, Well, listeners, like I said, this is just a brief introduction. We've basically tried to cover Christ's return and and what the millennium means, what this period of time looks like. There is more on this subject of eschatology and end times. We'll cover that in next week's episode as we'll talk about what happens after the period of time we've already discussed here. But for this week, let me just remind you of a few things that we need to keep in mind. The first is that uh, the Bible teaches about a sure, sudden, and preceded by signs return of Christ, second return of Christ. We don't know exactly when that is. Christ said to his disciples, I don't even know when that is when he was here on earth. Um, But it will be be sudden, it will come, but it will be preceded by some signs. Um, Secondarily, as far as that teaching, it, it really is in a lot of places in Scripture, but Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, obviously the book of Revelation, specifically Mm -hmm. 20 through 22. Um, A lot of different places we could go on this subject, but those are just a few. Uh, As far as the disagreements, most of this theology is probably disagreements, to be perfectly honest, Uh, whether you fall into that pre-mill position, all-mill position, post-mill position, or within the pre-mill, even the idea of pre-mid or post-trib, really dealing with the ideas of the millennium, the rapture, when is Christ going to come back, those sort of ideas. Uh, heresies, a couple things to be watching for on this subject. Number one, the absolute denial of this. There would be people that would deny Christ is coming back. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, it is one that's out there. The second is that we can control it. If, if mm. Christ didn't know and couldn't control it, it was up to the Father, uh, odds are we're not in control of it either. And so that's something to be keeping an eye out for as well. Um, and then just this reminder, as far as the reason we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again, you know, even in that idea of uh, communion, that we always read that same passage, yeah. right, as we anticipate yeah. Christ's second coming, is it's a motivation for our holiness, it's a motivation for worship, it's a motivation for obedience, it's a motivation for hope. It gives us a sense of this is, this is not all there is. There's something future as Christ is going to come back one day and set the record straight 
Tom, any any final thoughts or closing things to leave our listeners with today? Well, the, the thing that came to mind is, is we, we desperately need the community of brothers and sisters. We're aliens okay. here. And I was just thinking about Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more mm-hmm. as you see the day drawing near. So the harder times get as we get near the return of Jesus, the more we need each other to keep encouraged. Yeah, as ambassadors in foreign territory, yeah. we definitely need the encouragement of each other. Good deal. Good deal. Well, listeners, that's it, at least for this first part of our discussion on eschatology and end times. Again, look for next week's episode. We'll wrap up this discussion next week and wrap up our whole series on what does the Bible say about. Uh, But let me just remind you that this coming Sunday, before we get to that, Tom will be explaining um, from... He, or uh, Hebrews chapter 3, he'll be looking at the first six verses of that. He's going to be talking about how Moses was, or Christ as the son, was greater than Moses as the servant. Um, I would encourage you to read ahead, look at those verses in anticipation from the message, and join us at either our 9 o'clock or 1030 service. We'd love to see you here on Sunday. Um, but thanks for taking the time to listen this week. We're glad that you were along for the ride. Hopefully it was helpful to you. Just remember that if it was helpful, you can always share it, rate it, or comment on it to help other people find it. And we hope you join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, or on Twitter at the handle at FBC Lincoln. As for this week, we'll leave you with Paul's words to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith.